Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast, brought to you in partnership with Missio Alliance and Kairos Partnerships. Doug, good to see you. JR, always good to see you as well. Got an exciting week this week with Thanksgiving coming up. No. Where is Thanksgiving for you on the enjoyment scale? Mm. Some people are like, it's fine. Some people hate it. Some people, oh, it's my favorite. Yeah. Where, where does that put you? Uh, it It's my favorite. I, I think it's... It, it is, it's like Christmas and Thanksgiving are sort of neck and neck. Okay. Yeah. 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 Great. Yeah. There, and I think too, mainly because for, for us every year, my, my dad was a football coach, uh, when I was growing up. And so Thanksgiving was special because usually the week before they were done. Yeah. And so we would leave Tuesday as soon as he get home from school, we'd uh, leave and we'd take off up to the mountains. We had friends that owned a, a big dairy farm and we would go up and hang out on the farm for Thanksgiving. Yeah, and cool. We just had so many good memories of of that trip and that time. And so Thanksgiving was really special because we had our dad back. <laughs> I mean, he was always there, but it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, football wasn't the the main thing uh, that that he was focused on. So yeah, I, I really like it. How about you? Thanksgiving is probably my favorite of all the holidays. Uh, obviously, we love the fall. We've been you know, going on and on about how much we love the fall. For me, I don't love Christmas. Mm. I, I, I love what we celebrate um, spiritually. The cultural side of Christmas is exhausting and frustrating to me. Mm. Um, and so for me, it's like kind of happy and sad because like Thanksgiving night, I sort of feel like the page is turning into like, you know, Black Friday and, and, uh, the consumerism. And so that's when I kind of slow down like social media. Sometimes I like just cut everything off for December. Um, but I really try to counter that with Advent stuff. That wasn't really the question. I love Thanksgiving. <laughs> I do. I really, we just do. went a deep dive and, there. <laughs> uh, no, I, I really do love Thanksgiving, but it is the end of the fall for me officially. And uh, I do. There's just so much to be grateful for. And we have a couple of family rhythms and traditions that we do with that. But uh, man, I, I love Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it really does live up to the hype in terms of the way I just notice. I feel grateful. on. I mean, and it's not just that day. It's like the week leading up to it. It, it almost feels like my brain kicks into memory mode. Yeah. And I just begin to recall like God's goodness throughout the year and and conversations that were meaningful and the ways that I've seen my kids grow. It, it, it almost, it feels like a, it, I mean, I, I kind of like... Similar to you, there's sort of this beautiful thing of Thanksgiving and Black Friday, which maybe we'll talk about. Maybe we'll talk about some other time. That's actually interesting. Yeah. But um, it's almost like there's a ramp up to that. And I think even just learning, and especially as pastors where I, I sense gratitude is not something we practice uh, on a regular basis. It's not, maybe it's not, some, it's not something that comes natural to most. Mm. Uh, and I know that for for my own life, it's, it's a practice that I've really... Uh, engaged uh, in very intentional ways in the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. Gratitude journal. I continue to do that in the mornings, you know, five things. And I always start, God, I'm grateful for dot, dot, dot. And I write that five separate times. And then oftentimes I end with dot, dot, dot. And you didn't have to, right? It's always Mm -hmm. that like, I'm not entitled to this, you know? And I, I think about that a lot with gratitude. You know, you can't be grateful if it's not preceded by humility. And one of the things I noticed that I hadn't noticed for years, just in the last few years, I'm starting to pick this up. How many times it talks about the grumbling of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, the teachers of the law. Anytime I grumble, it's, I have a spirit of entitlement. I'm grumbling because I thought I deserved blank. And so when I'm grumbling or complaining, I'm always thinking, where did I feel entitled that I 
deserved blank. And so just thinking the opposite of grumbling is therefore gratitude and humility. And so, yeah, you just, you can't be grateful without first being humble. Um, You have to, you be in, you're indebted of, you're, you're you're indebted of gratitude to someone or something else. And um, so, yeah, I think it's a great practice. One of the things my family, we would always do growing up and we still do it with our family today is at um, Thanksgiving dinner before we get into dessert, we clear all the the dishes and we let the food settle um, before we get into dessert. And everybody has five corn kernels at the top of their placemat. And so we go around one at a time uh, and we say one thing that we're grateful for. We name it out loud. And it normally takes, I don't know, 30 or 45 minutes and almost always ends in tears Mm. of, uh, being grateful for the people around the table and to speak blessing into their life. Um, grateful for situations or even pain, even hard things, but it's really just a wonderful practice that we've gotten into as a family, uh, through the years. And now with our own kids, um, just, yeah, it, and all it takes is just five corn kernels for every person and a willingness to do it. And it's just a good break. Once the dinner dishes are cleared before the dessert, comes out that we spend time doing that. So it's one of the many reasons I love Thanksgiving, but that's, it's always a marker around the table for me. So, yeah. Thinking over the last few weeks and maybe this is kind of on the spot. Well, it's an on the spot question, but just thinking about what, what has surprised you in the last few weeks or months that you've been grateful for? Yeah. Um, (laughs) sleep. Uh, I, the last three years have been running hard and just recently passing a hurdle, it was just really good to, I, I don't sleep well. I think sleep is a necessary evil, sadly enough. I know I should do it because without it, I'm unhealthy, but I just think how quickly or how little can I get by on it and be healthy and, uh, doing a lot of sleeping lately and going to bed earlier. And I, I have not thanked the Lord for sleeping mm. before, uh, the last few weeks. And it's been really good to be Thank you, God, for my bed. Thank you, God, for sleep, for rest. I'm already looking forward to tonight's sleep. Like, that's just not normal for me. So I'm really, yeah, I'm grateful for sleep and for rest. So how about you? Oh, boy. Um, I Man, I just wanted to ask you that question. Jay. I don't feel like <laughs> answering. No, I, for me, I, I think some of it has just been in my, uh, I've, I've pr- picked up a practice the last few, the last month and a half of prayer walking at one point in time, either in the morning or evening of the day. And the one thing that has just shocked me uh, is I'm just grateful for these, like, there's these like a million acorns on the ground. Uh-huh. And like, I, I find myself all the time coming back to like how grateful I am for these acorns. And mm. I don't even know why I'm like, it's just such a random thing to be grateful for. But I think for me, it just represents like God's abundance. There mm. just seems to be this way of, uh, especially for some reason this this year, they're just all over the place. I have noticed that too. There yeah. just seems to be a whole lot more than normal. Uh-huh. I don't know if that was, I'm paying attention more or there really are more, but I, there, that's funny you bring that there up. There really are more. And and I think in some ways, you know, if you look in the, I'm sure in the farmer's almanac or whatever, you <laughs> talk to someone, they'll say, well, it's going to be a real tough winter, but. Even realizing with with the tough season of head, with tough seasons ahead in my own life, like mm. I don't want to forget to be grateful and remember God's abundance, yeah. even in the even in the hard stuff. Yeah. So the yeah. acorns. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the story of the ten lepers, mm. and only one returns to say thanks. And I I know it's easy to like feel thankful this time of year, you know, but 
what would it look like to breed a Thanksgiving spirit and posture every month, every week, every season of my life? And I just think about those 10 lepers, like what would it take to be the one? And, you know, what, what were the other nine doing? They probably were excited and they weren't ungrateful. I just don't think they were grateful enough to return. I think they were excited. And uh, it just makes me wonder, like, how can I be like the one? Um, and uh, so that 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 story rings through my head this time of year too. Absolutely. Returning to say thanks. Well, and, and, and I think the story also reminds us of, uh, you know, especially as pastors, like God has done so much in us. Mm. And to, to see that first and foremost, like that I'm loved, that he's gifted me, he's called me, that he's equipped me, that he's given me the spirit. I mean, all these things are just things to continually be grateful for. I was talking to my dad a couple of days ago and he, he just said, he said, you know, son, he's like, I've just been thinking about how much Jesus really did on the cross, like just for me. He's mm-hmm. like, and for like all these other people and some of them I don't even like, and I'm realizing how I need to change that. And mm-hmm. I was just thinking like, I think sometimes I forget just the profound nature of the God that I serve. I gave everything mm-hmm. and that just changed. It was just, it felt like a really holy moment with my dad and just mm-hmm. listening to that story and how mm-hmm. he's been really affected by that just the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. great. So much to be grateful for. Yeah. Well, happy Thanksgiving, friends. Hope you enjoy uh, the time that you have with family and friends. And uh, we just want to let you all know that we're really grateful for you. Tara Beth Leach describes herself as pastor, preacher, speaker, and writer. She holds a Master's of Divinity from Northern Theological Seminary, where she also worked as a teaching assistant for Scott McKnight. She now serves as senior pastor at Pasadena First Church of the Nazarene, also known as PazNaz. She's a frequent writer for Missio Alliance, and she's the author of Emboldened with InterVarsity Press and the forthcoming book with InterVarsity Press titled Radiant. Enjoy this conversation with Tara Beth Leach. All right. Well, we're really glad to have on the show with us, Tara Beth Leach. And Tara, it's good. To, I'm sure it's a little little warmer for you in Southern California than it is for us up here in the Northeast. I, well, I hate rubbing it in. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't so tell us, no, I'm tell us what it is today. The, yeah. I'm looking out at the palm trees in the mountains and it's a perfect 71 degrees right now. <laughs> oh, a little wow. cold front coming through yeah. there. 71. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> to rub it in. Yeah, yeah. You did come from Chicago. So I'm sure this has been an easy transition for you weather-wise. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's been, it's been glorious. <laughs> so Tara, uh, I've had a chance to hear some of your story and, and some of us know you, but can you share with us your story? I would love to share my story. So I grew up in a very cultural Christian family. Um, I don't know that I could say that we were walking with Jesus filled with the spirit, but um, we would go to church a couple times a year, you know, the high holidays, Christmas and Easter and Mother's Day. And I grew up in a liturgical church. So I was, um, I was, or high church, I guess I should say, was confirmed, baptized as an infant. And, um, when I was about 15, 16 years old, I had a stirring for something more. And I was surrounded by a lot of kids who, um, were kids of professors and pastors and missionaries uh, in the church of the Nazarene. We were in a town where there were a lot of Nazarenes. Um, I was also surrounded by a lot of kids who were involved in campus life or youth for Christ. And so they would talk about Jesus in ways that was so curious to me, um, the witness of the high school students in my community was radiant and contagious. And I wanted uh, what they had. Wow. And so 
um, I, on my own, decided to go to Campus Life and Outreach Night. And long story short, it was there that I started to hear about Jesus in ways that I'd never heard before. Uh, like you can actually know Jesus, you can actually walk with Jesus, you can actually hear from Jesus, um, you can actually discover Jesus. And so I started reading my Bible pretty regularly. And it was actually through reading through the Bible that the story of God began to come alive to me. Um, in my 16, 15 year old brain, I probably only understood the tip of the iceberg. Um, but it was enough, uh, for me to have some of those aha moments. And when I was reading through the gospel of Luke, I was actually devastated when I was reading the story of the cross, because by that point I really was starting to fall in love with Jesus. And I could not wrap my brain around why Jesus had to die on the cross. People would always say he had to die on the cross for your sins. Well, that wasn't helpful for me because I didn't know what that meant. Um, you know, any atonement theories was just wild and crazy and didn't make sense uh, for me. Uh, but at the same time, I understood that it did happen uh, for a reason and that it had something to do with me. And so I was just overcome with gratitude. I fell on my knees next to my bed. I put my palms up, closed my eyes. And the only words that could come out of my mouth were, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And tears were just flowing from my face onto the Bible. And I probably said, thank you, Jesus, for the next, I don't know, 45 minutes, hour or so. Mm. And that was really kind of one of my first really big yeses to Jesus that I can remember. I'm sure there were a lot more nods, um, but that was a really significant yes for me. Um, and from there on out, I have just been learning a lifetime of learning how to say yes, uh, the road to obedience. It was just a few months after that, that I had another really um, kind of uh, monumental moment, if you will, when I was called into ministry. And I had zero imagination for what that looked like or what that would be, but um, I, I knew I wanted to tell the world about Jesus. I really actually just wanted to stand on the rooftops hmm. with a megaphone and tell everyone what Jesus had done in my life. And I wanted everyone to experience it. And I wanted to preach. I can remember standing in front of my mirror with my Bible preaching. There was a oh, time wow. where my girlfriends and I were driving down the road and we we're listening to Nicole Seymour and My Redeemer Lives. <laughs> I pulled over my car and I stood at the ditch and I opened my Bible and I started preaching to the Midwestern cornfields. Wow. Uh, I just thought if I'm someone's got to listen, I'm just going to preach. <laughs> and preach. And I was just so on fire. Um, and so, and at the same time, I was being discipled by campus ministry that was a little bit more conservative, a little bit more fundamentalist at the time. And um, they were not affirming of women in ministry. So by the time I got to, I went to Olivet Nazarene University to study youth ministry. And I didn't believe women could be pastors. I thought I could be a campus minister or, but certainly not a pastor. But by the provenient grace of God, I guess, you know, the spirit really just um, began to do a work on my heart and mind and open my imagination through these professors, through these classes. So many people came alongside of me and just breathe a kingdom imagination for my role within the, the bride of Christ. So by the time I graduated, I was fully affirming for women in ministry and ready to go. Um, but then I learned that just because you can be in a denomination that is affirming of women in ministry doesn't necessarily mean um, that they will be, that they will be living it. Um, and so, and I think ultimately we, you know, culture eats our theology. 
Um, and there's a culture within the conservative evangelical church, even churches that affirm women in ministry that just don't know how. Um, you know, there are systems that keep women sidelined. Um, so it's been a long journey, um, a 18-year journey for me of finding my place as an emboldened, as a called women woman. And um, to make a really long story short, I met my husband, we got married, we've moved around the country with various roles and um, some places that are really affirming, some places that were really hard, really desert-like, and eventually made my way here to Paznaz, um, what we affectionately call it, but our legal name is First Church of the Nazarene of Pasadena. And I have been here now turning the corner to four years. It's mm -hmm. hard to believe. It seems like I just got here. And it has been an incredible ride and an unbelievably challenging ride. Um, at any given day, one hour, I'm just like thinking, oh my goodness, I get to do this. And the next hour, oh my goodness, I have to do this. Mm. Um, it is both beautiful and amazing. And at times it feels almost tragic. It's so hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've you've shared some of that. We shared dinner sitting next to each other at Missio Alliance, and you were just sharing some of those challenges. And so when those challenges occur, and they're, they seem to be different for every pastor that we get a chance to talk to and interview, what lies are you tempted to believe when the stuff is hitting the fan and you're just like, what am I doing? What are some of those lies that you feel sort of creeping up into your brain or your heart or your soul on those tough days? Yeah. So shame is a liar. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm someone that is doing a lot of inner work to ignore those, those voices of shame. Um, but the voice of shame will tell me that I'm a bad pastor, um, that I wrecked this church, mm. um, that um, I am not good enough, that I am not wise enough, that I am not gifted enough, mm. um, that I don't really belong, um, that... Um, I'm screwing this all up. Mm. Um, you know, these are these are real lies that I think so many of us experience in the wilderness when we are really vulnerable. And mm. it is really real for me um, mm. Mm. that I am currently working through. Yeah. 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 You, you mentioned inner work. Uh, what what does the inner work that you're engaging in look like? If you're willing to share. If you're willing to share, <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So um, therapy is a means of grace for me. Mm. Um, I feel like I have the best therapist in the world. Mm. Um, she is, um, she's been a pastor before. She is a PhD. She taught at Fuller. She's been a chaplain. She's married to a pastor. And so she really understands the family dynamics that happen in a church and how it is profoundly connected to our family of origin um, and how we view that, how we deal with that, how these primal, I mean, primal wounds are amazing and um, how they dictate our worldview to how we react to conflict and to the lies that we hear and take in. And we don't even realize that, I mean, the, the crazy thing about primal wounds is these are unconscious things that in the work of therapy, the therapist brings those to consciousness and helps you see, whoa, I've been believing that. And so the work that we're doing right now is untangling some of those lies um, that I didn't even realize had been 
um, clouding and distorting my mm. vision um, and believing who I who I am, believing um, what my role is, believing um, just where I am. And so it, it's been a lot of really good, hard, important inner work. And of course, therapists give us a lot of things to do, um, a lot of reflection, a lot of writing, a lot of reading, a lot of work. Um, and so it's been a beautiful journey. And it's frankly, has kept me at Paznaz. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thanks for your your vulnerability and willingness to share and to go there uh, in this. We totally agree. This is a common theme that we see running through every interview that we have, that ministry is great, it's sacred, it's wonderful, it's amazing, and it's terrible, and it's excruciating and harrowing all at the same time. <laughs> and oftentimes it's Monday. Again, that's what calling it Monday morning pastor, because it, you know pastors need to be humans and be people. And sometimes Mondays are the hardest times where we believe those lies the most, we feel the smallest and most depleted, um, the doubts are highest, all that. So what does a Monday, or maybe Sunday afternoon... Uh, Sunday afternoon into Monday, what does that look like for you? And then what do you do to replenish the sort of part A and part B? What does Monday look like for you? How do you sort of get back to a healthy Terabeth or replenish Terabeth? So I guess backing up first a little bit, um, Paznaz, this is the first time I've been a senior pastor. Mm. And so when I got here four years ago, I had no idea how awful Mondays were. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was just me um, before I had talked to other pastors. I mean, I, I felt like there was just a spiritual attack on me every Monday on me personally, and that I was the only person, I was the only person being targeted um, because I would come in on Mondays and that's the day that you find out what the giving is. That's the day all the metrics start flying in our face. Um, That's the day that if someone doesn't like your sermon or doesn't like what happened, you get an email. Um, That's the day that I am weary and I am exhausted. And for me, it seemed like it was for my first seven months here, it was the highest day of conflict. Um, And I remember I'm in a pastor's group. Gosh, I'm going to get emotional talking about this. There's just been a lot of people that have been really rooting for me um, Mm -hmm. nationally. And it's just Mm -hmm. been incredible that Mm -hmm. just that have gone out of the way to encourage me. I was in a pastor's group and I was sharing about how I hate Mondays. Is anybody else experiencing this? And there's a group of pastors that rallied together and wrote a card for me uh, for every Monday for the rest of the year. And it was four months. Wow. Wow. Hard. that was just another incredible means of grace for me. Incredible. Um, and so it, it took me till my first year to realize, oh, I probably need to do something different because I was coming in early on Mondays and I was just hitting things hard. Um, and it was never good. You know, I was reading my emails first thing Monday morning. I was uh, jumping into meetings. I was jumping into meetings, big, like important meetings with our executive pastor. And we would always end up um, going head to head, butting heads, because uh, we were both depleted. Um, and so, so all that to say, I've learned the hard way. Um, and I can tell you everything not to do on Sunday. <laughs> and so... Um, so since I have drastically changed my schedule, um, I have much slower schedule on Mondays. I come in late. Um, I take the morning slowly. I sometimes go on hikes. I sometimes might ride a horse. 
Um, I read, I just, I take it slowly. Um, and then um, I'll meet with our executive pastor offsite. So we call it our Monday morning office. Mm. Um, and we meet outside. Um, we don't even like to meet indoors. We meet outside in this little town called Sierra Madre outside of a Starbucks and a smoothie bowl place with, with the parrots and the palm trees. Again, hate to rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> that would encourage my soul too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We met outside and somebody died because they had hypothermia once. <laughs> And we'll reflect and try to celebrate um, what happened on Monday. Um, And there's something about just not meeting the office for me, like psychologically, that is just really, really big. Um, And then right after that, I go and I meet with a group of local pastors, community pastors. We call it um, pastors triage. They're not Nazarene pastors. Wow. Um, they are pastors from the community and we'll have lunch. We'll break bread together. We'll cry together. Um, we talk about just our aches and longings together. And these are pastors. Um, they're not pastoring Nazarene churches, but they're pastoring larger, complex, older historical churches like ours. And so I do that on Mondays. Um, and really, and so Mondays are now for me a really slow easy day. I might do some reading um, because after that, sometimes I'll even leave the office early. So it is still official. It's not a day off for me. It is still a work day. Um, I have just drastically changed my schedule. We don't do any staff meetings. We don't do any production meetings. We don't do any worship meetings. It's just slow. That's awesome. Wow. It's amazing to me that, 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 I mean, I, I can't get over the notes I can't get over the the even calling it ministry triage. The the therapist. I mean, these are the kinds of things that listeners are going. What do I do on a Monday? And you've had to learn the hard way, which is yeah, I can you tell know. you everything not to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are a couple other those um, what not to do's? What else would you put in that camp? Don't check your email on Monday morning. That's good. Um, leave leave the device aside, and I've also learned even. I have to be really careful on social media. Social media is a trigger for me these days. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been, I would say, a lot of my extreme hardship and attacks against who I am as a pastor and intimately connected to my gender yeah. um, has been all on social media. Um, there's been, for example, there was a campaign called Save Paznaz um, that went live in public through social media, Yelp, Facebook. Instagram. There were memes made of me. Um, and, um, and it was all connected to Paznaz is losing their favor because there's a woman pastor. And these were people within our congregation that mm-hmm. did this, um, were, um, and that, and that, that's just like one of many social media attacks. Social media is really rough for me. Um, and it's been probably one of the biggest sources of pain. Um, and so I, take a lot of breaks from social media, try not to look at it on Mondays. Um, because if someone doesn't like it these days, what do they do? They take to Facebook. Mm. Um, if they don't like anything about the church. Um, and so that's another thing not to do. I will also say pastors just don't get on social media on vacation. I will (laughs) stay off. Um, If, if you don't believe in spiritual warfare, just get on social media while you're on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny and profound at the same time. Yeah, it is. I mean, it'll, it'll ruin your vacation like that. 
Mm. Um, and I'm willing to guess I'm not the only one, but when we start like having attacks or criticism against us in a very public way, we obsess over it. Mm-hmm. We don't stop thinking. I mean, I, I, I have trouble not thinking about it. Um, Especially when you have all sorts of time on vacation to obsess more <laughs> about it because you're not busy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. My therapist always tells me that, you know, anxiety is um, always seeking a target. Mm. And if we're on vacation and all of a sudden like the, that guard starts to go down and we're feeling like at peace. I mean, there's just anything. It's seeking that target. So just stay away from those things on Mondays um, that could potentially cause anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, so staff email, don't do any staff meetings on Monday. Wait till Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, don't meet with disgruntled people on Mondays. <laughs> Amen. Um, Amen. <laughs> yes, I did that about a month ago and um, it was pretty horrific mm. for me um, emotionally. And even my mm. therapist was like, so tell me now why you met with him on a Monday. Uh, um, uh. And so, yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. Mm. Um, mm. Don't, if, if you can wait and not look at metrics on Mondays, don't, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, if you're struggling, um, if, if that's a trigger for you, you know, numbers, um, finances, wait till Tuesday. Mm. Um, we're just too vulnerable on Mondays. So there's lots of joy and it's a sacred calling, but ministry is difficult. So how do you, Tara Beth, stay in the game? Why do you stay in the game? Yeah, um, I stay in the game because of an overwhelming sense of call. Um the way that I've described it is oftentimes when I just look and God, do I have to do this? Um, I often feel God just sitting me down or God's thumb in my back. And um, and for me, this call is about faithfulness. Um, better is one year of faithfulness than um, selling out for any sort of worldly success. Uh, and I think sometimes the temptation is there's something better, there's something else, there's you know something more glamorous. Um, but one of the things that I really believe that God has called me to is just faithfulness. So I wake up on Mondays, I wake up in the morning and say, God, what is faithfulness today? What does faithfulness look like today? And for me, faithfulness is showing up. Uh, faithfulness is being present and shepherding. Faithfulness is um, preparation in the sermon. Faithfulness is showing up in people's lives. Um, and this is where we are rooted. This is where we're planted. And so how can I be faithful here? That, uh, that image that you shared right at the beginning of our conversation about uh, being a, a girl preaching to the cornfields. Um, so if you could go back to that girl preaching to the corn stalks in the field, what would you say to that girl? Yeah, I would say to her to keep going. Um, no matter what, put one foot in front of the next. Um, no matter what remember whose you are, uh, remember that you've been called, remember that you have gifts, um, remember that God can use those gifts even in the storm and even in the wilderness, um, and just to keep going. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's great. What what encouragement? I mean, you've shared a lot of, you know, hey, pastors, think about this. Don't do this on Mondays. Um, there are a lot of discouraged, depleted, uh, those that feel like they've failed and how whatever metric they use that are listening. What would you want to say as a way to encourage those pastors who are listening who may not have written a book, may not be at a large church, may, you know, may have grown their church from a hundred to forty-five. You know, <laughs> what 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 would you want to say to the pastor that's just plodding through faithfully, doing all they can to try to trust Jesus in their calling? Yeah, don't believe the lies of the wilderness. Mm. Um, I o- often think about Jesus being tempted in the desert, in the wilderness. And all those opportunities that he had to take shortcuts, um, easier ways out. And, um, you know, for, for worldly success, for an easier way to the kingdom, for an easier way to um, applause. And Jesus did it. Um, Jesus stayed faithful. And he could have had immediate gratification He could have had all the world in that moment. He could have had the kingdoms, but he didn't. And I think these days there's so many messages that tells pastors there's got to be an easier way. There's got to be a shortcut Mm. um, to success. Um, And if you're not experiencing the success that the world tells us we're experiencing, well, then you're doing something wrong. Mm. Um, but the cross tells us laying down the Jesus's message on, on late proclamations of denying ourselves, laying down our lives, um, that the cost of discipleship sometimes means suffering. Um, that narrative reminds us and tells us that, um, success isn't always worldly success isn't always of the kingdom mm-hmm. and that what God calls us to is faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, I don't want to be known for, and I hope other pastors, I don't want to be known for the books or the number of people or the churches, but I want to be counted as one that was faithful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've talked a lot about, uh, Doug and I, about the three Bs that most churches in North America, buildings, bodies, and budget, and that Jesus gives us the three Fs, right? And you mentioned faithfulness, you know, fruitfulness, fulfillment, even of just, if everything around me looks like it's failing, but that deep sense of satisfaction of knowing, no, I was called to this, regardless of what the quote-unquote scorecard says. Um, How do you wrestle with that tension of saying, okay, there are metrics though, giving was up or down and, you know, attendance is up or down. How do you wrestle with the three Bs that we don't throw away? We do need to pay attention to them some. How do we make sure we don't put too much weight or priority in those buildings, bodies, and budget metrics to an unhealthy level? Right. How do we how do we know that balance? Yeah. What does that look like yeah, for you? Here at Paznaz, we call it the ABCs of the Empire, attendance building cash. Yeah. Um, and so it's tempting and it's really hard, especially when you're pastoring, because people in our congregation, that it is so hard to rid themselves of those metrics. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, that's part of the inner work that I'm doing as well. Mm-hmm. Is part of just the way that I have been formed. I have been formed in this metric and this worldview of success. Mm-hmm. And so I'm preaching to myself here. Um, and so one of the, one of the ways that we do that at Pazna is this storytelling tells a different story. Um, what we celebrate, we are going to teach our people that that's what we ought to celebrate. 
And so if we start celebrating, oh my goodness, we had 1700 people. This is, we had this much money. We had, and if those are the things that we celebrate, then we are shepherding our people. Our people are being formed to celebrate those things. Mm. But if we start celebrating the seemingly at first small things, those signs of spring, um, and we start teaching our people that that's what we ought to look for. And that once we start looking for it, all of a sudden we, we, we can't unsee it. Mm. And then we become a congregation that celebrates that. Mm. Mm. Um, and so, so in fact, I just talked about it this last Sunday from the pulpit, um, having eyes to see the movement of the spirit and the work of God and celebrating and being grateful. Um, it's happening. We just have to look and we have mm. to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Well, Sarah Beth, we are really grateful for your willingness to not just be with us here, but your willingness to be vulnerable and share where you're really at and where ministry really is great and where it's really tough at the same time. And so we're, we're grateful for this opportunity. We're also grateful for your voice. And we want to keep, Doug and I want to say, keep going, keep doing it. It's important, not just because you are a female. That is an important part, though, that Doug and I feel that we need to cheerlead our sisters in what they're doing. And so keep going. We're really grateful for you and what you're doing. And if those lives become so large in your life and you need other brothers to remind you, like, may we be part of that constellation Mm -hmm. of support and those cheerleaders waving pom-poms saying, keep going, Tara Beth, keep going. So we're really grateful for you. And so thank you for your willingness to come on and be with us here this morning. Thank you. Really grateful to be here. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. I really enjoyed that conversation with Tara Beth. Yeah, I kind of wish she was my pastor. (laughs) One of the things I love about Tara Beth is the balance that she's always held of being really honest, but not being complainy, that she's hopeful. Right. Some people are hopeful, but they don't feel like they're being fully honest, like they're almost too optimistic that there's a realism there of talking about ministry's hard, but it's hope filled and Jesus is at the center of it. And she really finds that balance well. And that's what I really appreciated about her. Yeah, I really appreciated the what not to do list. Yes, that yes, that's huge. one thing we haven't really asked on the podcast. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, maybe that's a new question we ask. What What's sh- on the to don't yeah. list? What shouldn't you do? Yes, <laughs> yes, I think that's viable. Just maybe just too. as much as what we should do. Life giving lists, which we learned from Steve Cuss, and we keep referring back to. But what about life draining lists? She basically gave us the to don't list for her. And I think that's a good resource actually for our listeners is to say, what are the things that need to be on your to don't list on a Monday? So that's a resource we want to submit to you. What should you stop doing or refuse to do in the future? You heard hers. What's yours? What would that look like for you? And so we want to submit that to you as a resource. But man, some of the other resources like Pastor's Triage Group on Mondays. That's that's amazing. So good. And so I love good. that it's called triage, right? I know. <laughs> like, and it is. It's I mean, I think name. all the Yeah, all the pastors are like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, pastors triage. That sounds like I've been needing that for years and years and years. Yeah. And she mentioned her therapist. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And man, she said she almost teared up. I almost teared up hearing about the handwritten notes idea from pastors on Monday for the rest of the year. Holy cow. 
that that is such a beautiful picture of pastors of pastors embodying Monday morning pastor well. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And knowing the joy that she feels and preaching in the cornfields, now preaching to people every weekend. I mean, what a great story. But also, I mean, that Save Paznaz campaign. <sighs> I mean, I just hurt for her to think, man, like nobody's ever, you know started a campaign, you know, save our church because of JR or Doug. I mean, that's amazing um kind of pushback and and uh to try to work through that. Um she's done, you can tell she's very intentional of doing a lot of inner work, which is wonderful, which is what this podcast is about, encouraging pastors to do the inner work, mm. which is just fantastic. So um, one of the resources we wanted to give you, her book, uh, Emboldened, which we mentioned in an introduction, University Press, you can get that anywhere where uh, books are sold. Emboldened, A Vision for Empowering Women in Ministry. And Scott McKnight, who many people I know know who Scott McKnight is, um, Tara was uh, Scott's TA, and Scott wrote the foreword uh, to that book. Scott has been a big proponent and encourager of women in ministry, but also of Tara Beth specifically, which is just great. So, Doug, we also, in addition to giving resources, also give questions. So what are some questions that we would want um, uh, listeners to take away from yeah, today? I think uh, the couple of them that that we were chatting about, uh, what are your metrics? Yeah. I, I think that's such an important question. And and if if the metrics that you have are unhealthy metrics, call them that, scrap them and write healthy metrics. Mm. What are the healthy metrics? Mm. Um, I think another one was uh, what or who is in your pastor's triage group? Or <laughs> do you have a pastor's triage group? Or mm. how who who should be on that team for you? Yeah. I think that's really important. And and even with that, maybe sort of another resource with that is carve out an hour a week or an hour every other month or an hour a month where you can actually sit and work through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so this is a question that she brought up that she asks herself on a Monday, but what does faithfulness look like today? I mean, I think that's a question, not just for every pastor, but for every follower of Jesus. That's huge. What does faithfulness look like today? And I love that she said today, because Monday may look different than what it looks like on Tuesday or Thursday or, or Sunday. Um, but I love the fact that um, she asked that question, what does faithfulness look like today? And you had, um, uh, the idea of the handwritten notes uh, idea was really interesting. And you had a question related to that too. Yeah. Who, who's someone that, that you can write a handwritten note of encouragement to today? Stop at some point in time today, pick up a card or just jot it down on a piece of paper and write a handwritten note of encouragement to someone. Yeah. Yeah. And we know a lot of listeners even are non-pastors. They're non-clergy. And we love that you all listen to the show, which is great. Whoever your pastor is, write that note, encourage them. And if you are a pastor or someone in ministry, still write a note to another pastor that would need encouragement. Maybe a pastor on your staff, someone in town, maybe a mentor or friend or someone else who you just think needs encouragement today. So um, we're really grateful for this interview with Tara Beth. We could have gone another two hours, but she even beforehand mentioned that she had some major fires that needed putting out that she needed to go fairly quickly, um, the life of a pastor, right? And so she lives that. We're really grateful for her. Check out her book, check out those, uh, the resources, the questions, and we'll put those in the show notes as well. But Doug, send us out here uh, at the end of the podcast. Yeah. So, so pastors and kingdom leaders, may you be reminded today that you are loved that you taking the time to do the inner work is the work that Jesus wants to do. And you have permission to do that work because a healthy you means a healthy community. And so may you go in the peace and grace of the Lord Jesus. 